You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Good luck with the most beautiful game. Do us proud. Red alert. They're up and running again. So sweet, splendid, succinct, just glorious execution. Guys, all I'm looking for is 60% effort or 1,000% of the time. How sharp was that? Sharp of mind and body. And that's why you see your beautiful tears. Look at his movements. The most dangerous man on the planet. Nobody picks him up. Hello, and welcome to Wonder Goal, the soccer betting podcast from the Action Network. Joining me, as always, Anthony DeBundo and BJ Cunningham. And gentlemen, we have a full slate of midweek Premier League matches to get to, and we're going to start with a Tuesday kickoff between Brentford, the Bees, Buzz, and Manchester United, who are minus 115 road favorites traveling to Brentford, who are plus 320, the draw is plus 275. This is a 2.30 p.m. kickoff on Tuesday, the first match of the week. Manchester United, three wins, one draws, zero losses in the Premier League since Ole Gunnar Solskjaer left and Ralph Ragnick slash Michael Carrick took over. Obviously, Carrick has now moved on and Ragnick is fully has his teeth into the squad. Uh, those results came against Chelsea, Crystal Palace, Arsenal and Norwich. So teams from all over the spectrum. Meanwhile, Brentford, they're kind of just been scrappy uh, win against Everton. We've seen them sputter then they'll win they're, they're playing like a, a mid-table squad i think is fair to say it or they're playing like a, a good promoted squad we're not expecting them to finish in the top six but they're gonna be in the battle for maybe 10th to 12th which is good and i think that this is a classic betting spot a classic opportunity for betters to sell high on manchester united and the hoopla surrounding ralph ragnick's arrival and a little bit of an upturn in form without the underlying metrics being too overwhelmingly positive. So I think Brentford on the money line is an appealing number. I think this number could tick up too as more people bet into Manchester United. And I'll see if my two colleagues, Anthony and BJ, agree with me on the Bs. BJ, we'll start with you. Yeah, I totally agree. The Bees are undervalued here in this spot. The big thing, obviously, Ralph Ragnar has come in. They've won two straight matches, but they haven't been that impressive in both those matches. You know, if you take away the Ronaldo penalty against Norwich, they've only won the expected goals battle 2.3 to 1.7 against Crystal Palace and Norwich. So really not that impressive. But the biggest thing I was looking to see is what are United's pressing numbers going to be like with Ragnar in charge? And the answer is they've been a pretty big uptick than they were under Solskjaer. So they're averaging 150 presses per 90 minutes under Ragnar, and they only have averaged 127 under Solskjaer and their pressure success rate was over 34% against both Crystal Palace and Norwich, which is well above the Premier League average of 29%. However, even when you watch Manchester United, there are so many times that you just say, what are Fred and Scott McTominay doing? I mean, they're 
were so many times against Norwich that they got pushed so far up the field. And there was so, so much space right in the middle of the pitch that, you know, a team that is, you know, better offensively than Norwich could have really capitalized on that. We kind of saw that with, you know, against Liverpool and against Manchester City. Now they're going to be facing a Brentford team that presses at an incredibly high rate. They're very successful when they press because they have their seventh and passes per defensive action. And they're very good at winning the ball in the middle of the field because they're second in ball recovery. So I think that they'll be able to hit Manchester United on the counter pretty well in this match. Still no Paul Pogba. There's a lot of guys questionable for Manchester United, including Edison Cavani, Rafael Varane, Aaron Wan-Bissaka, and Victor Lindelof. And in addition to that, Manchester United announced today that they have a small number of COVID cases among players and staff. So at the time of taping this, we don't know who those players or staff are. But even before uh, accounting for those people that could be out, I only have Manchester United projected at plus 148. So, you know, if you follow me and Anthony in the Action Network app, you'll see that we've already both bet Brentford plus half a goal at plus 110. I would honestly play Brentford plus half a goal at anything up to minus 120. So I'm on the bees with you, Michael. A little bit of a spoiler alert there, but Anthony, I guess mm-hmm. you're, uh, you're jumping in the pool with us on the bees. Yeah, BJ uh, said it. I already put the bet in the app as of Sunday afternoon. United hasn't been very impressive in their first two games under Ragnick. I didn't actually get a chance to watch the Norwich match, but I watched it back at two times speed to kind of get a, a, a feel for how they were playing. And it still, it still feels like there's issues in generating shots for this United team in the sense that it's pretty much the entire attack still runs through Ronaldo and Ronaldo, as good as he is at getting on the end of chances, doesn't offer a ton in link up play. And that was very evident uh, in the game against Norwich, although he does end up winning the penalty not a ton of clear scoring chances for United in that match. And really a few big saves from David De Gea to keep the Canaries off the board in that game. They're still conceding about one expected goal per match since Ole has been fired. So it's a little bit better. I mean, they're not conceding one and a half that they were before, but still some defensive deficiencies for sure. The big difference here, Brentford's been really, really good at home at the Brentford Community Stadium, plus 0.4 XG difference per 90 at home. That includes games against Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool, Leicester, and Brighton. So they've played really good teams at home, and they've outplayed a lot of those teams, including Chelsea, and for large touches, Liverpool. Uh, United significantly worse on the road than they've been at home this year, which is a bit of different than the years past under Ole, but they have not been very good away from home. Uh, and so I agree with BJ. I'm on, I'm on the B's plus a half here. I think they get a result. I think probably ends 1-1. The team that Manchester United defeated this weekend was Norwich City. 1-0 win for the Red Devils. They're plus 225. Uh, Norwich is at home against Aston Villa plus 130. The draw is plus 230. It's 2.45 p.m. kickoff. And it is a revenge spot for Mr. Dean Smith uh, facing Aston Villa, who fired him about, what, eight days before he took the job at Norwich City in November. Since Villa switched managers to uh, Steven Gerrard, I think all three of us can agree Gerrard's done a good job uh, with the villains, defensively especially. Offensively, a little bit of a different story. They are averaging 0.86 expected goals per match under Gerrard so far. This game also has a pretty low total. It's it's two and a quarter right now. Basically, you pick them on either side. So I think this game sets up pretty decently for a draw. I don't expect Norwich to try to take the game to Aston Villa, and I don't expect Aston Villa to be able to unlock Norwich's defense, which, yeah, they, they've not been great, but they've been better under Dean Smith all that easily. So I think that the offensive improvements, maybe it'll come under Gerard, but it's going to take a little bit more time. And like I said, like they've been really good defensively. So this game has all the right ingredients for a draw. Plus 230 gets me in on a tie in East Anglia on Tuesday afternoon. Anthony, what do you have for this one? Yeah, not a ton. I, I agree with you. I lean towards the under, but at two and a quarter, there's just very little room there. 
uh, for some flukes to go against you. You know, we saw that in the Palace Everton game today. I said that last week where, you know, I said under two and a quarter, but there's not enough room for me to play it. Sure enough, a pretty quiet first half. And then all of a sudden, a couple of wonder goals and it's it's 3-1 and you lose. So I'm not loving either side in this game. I want to credit the defense of Aston Villa. They allowed 25 passes into their own penalty area against Liverpool, which is pretty high and above what Liverpool typically averages in a, in a game this year. But they were excellent in defending in their own penalty area. And I think that's been the number one improvement that I've seen from Gerrard from Smith prior in the sense that the mistakes that we were seeing have not quite been there so far uh, under Gerard. I, I think it's very difficult to see how Norwich gets on the board here. They do have some attacking regression coming, but I, I don't really love uh, backing the Canaries on the road here either. So I'm going to stay away from this one for now. And if it gets steamed either direction, maybe I'll, I'll make a play. Uh, you know, if it gets down to Norwich, Villa, you know, is a pick them, you know, minus 120, then I'd probably hop in on Villa on the road here. But at the current number, no interest. PJ, you're kind of waiting for the market movement here as well. Yeah, it's it's kind of waiting on the market. Maybe play Norwich if Aston Villa gets steamed. No Bertrand Traore or Leon Bailey for Aston Villa, so that obviously hurts them offensively. You know, Norwich hasn't been that bad under Dean Smith. You know, they've won the expected goals battle in about half of his matches, which is a massive, massive improvement from where they were under Farca. The biggest thing is like I don't really know. You know, Aston Villa offensively hasn't really provided much going forward under Gerrard. They've been really good defensively. So this one, like you said, could have 0-0 or maybe 1-1 draw written all over it. So it's a wait and see for, for me. I don't know if we'll get Norwich at a, at a decent price at plus half a goal. But if something happens before the match, then, you know, you'll probably see if I can get Norwich plus half a goal at, at minus 120 or better. Um, I'll probably end up playing that. But other than that, it's a stay away for me. Going to the other end of the table with Manchester City, the pace setters right now in the Premier League at 38 points, Liverpool 37, Chelsea 36, and then West Ham at 28 in front of a whole host of teams for that top four spot. But Manchester City, they're minus 700 home favorites against Leeds United, who are 19 to 1 on the money line. The draw is 8 to 1. This is a Tuesday, 3 p.m. kickoff. So we're getting some staggered starts on Tuesday, which is nice to get uh, 15 minutes between each game to start. And this sets up for a... uh, a city blowout, I think, because we talk about it all the time, right? Like Leeds United, their defense is just tremendously leaky. Like they are a team that gives up a lot going in both directions. They create a lot. They give up a lot. And against Manchester City, an elite defense, maybe the best defense in the league, maybe one of the best defenses in all of Europe. I don't see Leeds United being able to create as much, especially against a team that's managed by someone like Pep Guardiola, who can kind of understand the nuances of Marcelo Bielsa's style. But the alt line is just so expensive too. Like it's like, it's not even worth chasing it. Like usually you want a big number to take a team minus one and a half or minus two and a half. But unfortunately uh, that is not the case. Bookmakers are smart people. So they probably assume people were looking that way. So I'm going to pass on this one. Maybe if I can, it would be like Leeds United plus two or nothing for me, but I'm, an all certainty passing. BJ, uh, what do you have? Yeah, I like both teams to score no at minus 150. So Anthony kind of inspired me because he's winning all these both teams to score bets. And I'm kind of feel like I'm, you know, missing out on the party. So I built out some both teams to score projections this weekend. And I have this uh, both teams to score no projected at minus 191 because Manchester City's defense is the best in the world right now. They're only allowing 0.59 non-penalty expected goals per match, 6.56 shots per 90, 7.31 box entries per 90, and only seven big scoring chances in 16 matches. Those 
are not only the best marks in England, but the best marks in all of Europe. So I really don't know how Leeds offensively without Patrick Bamford, without Calvin Phillips, without Rodrigo, who are all going to be out for this match, are going to create anything really of substance against this defense. You know, Manchester City, they haven't allowed an opponent to create over one expected goal since October 30th against Crystal Palace. And they were down a man for 45 minutes in that match. So they've just been incredibly dominant. I just don't see how Leeds is actually going to get on the board here. I mean, it's going to have to be some type of fluky late goal. And Pep Guardiola is so good at changing his tactics. And I've kind of been noticing this with City is that they're very good at playing with, you know, a lot of speed and direct attacking if they're facing a team that, you know, plays a high line and get behind them, which they might be able to do against Leeds. And they're very good at also slowing down a match and just holding possession and being very pragmatic. And that's probably what they're going to do in this match, given how high tempo Leeds is and how much they're going to press them. So I like both teams to score no at minus 150. I heard something about Manchester City that I, that I agree with wholeheartedly, which is it almost seems like the team kind of decides who's going to be the best player in the world for the next couple of months. Like it used to be De Bruyne and then De Bruyne would say, okay, you know, like Ilkay Gondouan last year went through that incredible stretch and Ruben Diaz went through that stretch. And right now it's Bernardo Silva. Like he's the one who's one of the best players in the world. It's, it's really funny how they do that. Like you said, like the best manager in the world, maybe the best roster top to bottom in the world. And the defense has just been incredible. So it's just really hard to imagine Leeds getting uh, one over here. Anthony, uh, what have you been seeing from the citizens lately? Yeah, they've they played eight home matches this year. They've conceded 3.3 expected goals in those eight matches. Uh, so pretty much back to the boa constrictor style. And they lost one, which That's is That's true, incredible. yeah. Absurd. And when you look at their overall expected goals numbers, they're pretty much even with Liverpool. But, you know, in terms of XG ratio, which I think matters, you know, like your expected goals for over expected goals against, how much are you dominating your opponents? City have the the best underlying metrics in the league and, and still remain title favorites for that reason. They're actually underperforming their expected goals forward now after the poor finishing day they had against Wolves, which is a scary thought, given that I know BJ's been playing a lot of City unders and they've been great bets. I think the market still hasn't caught up maybe here at three and a half. I lean towards the under just because I think I don't see lead scoring here, but uh, City having attacking regression coming should be a pretty scary sight for the entire league. Overall here, though, I'm going to end up staying away from it. I don't think I bet a city match in a while, so maybe I'll have to jump in at some point in the coming weeks, but uh, right now it's a pass. A matchup that both teams to score should probably be no minus 500. Brighton plus 105 at home against Wolverhampton, who are 3-1 to one on the money line. The draw is plus 225. This is Wednesday afternoon, 2.30 p.m. Kickoff, two great defenses and very, very pedestrian offenses. The over-under is set at two right now. This match screams draw to me, and that's where I'm going. Uh, two teams that are pretty lumbering going forward and really stout on their defensive end. So I mean, it's almost impossible for me to look away from the draw on this one. So that's where I'm heading. Wolves, Brighton, draw, plus 225 on the South Coast. BJ, what do you have? Yeah, I like both teams to score no at minus 135. What has happened to the Wolves' offense that we all fell in love with at the beginning of the season? I mean, they have only created over one expected goal one time in their last six matches, and they're going to be without Raul Jimenez for this one, who got maybe one of the dumbest back-to-back yellow cards I think I've ever seen in a soccer match. It was actually kind of funny. It just, I mean, obviously it completely, you know, threw Wolves out of I mean, any chance of creating anything in that match, but they have not created a big scoring chance in their last six matches. They have zero in their last six, and now – 
They're dead last in the Premier League in shots per 90 at only 10.37. So going up against a very well-organized defensive side like Brighton, who is only allowing 1.14 non-penalty expected goals per match and have allowed the third fewest big scoring chances, I'm not sure that Wolves is going to create anything of high quality in this match. And you know, Brighton offensively has been pretty bad overall for the season, but the last three matches they have created 4.6 expected goals combined. However, they are going to be without two of their best attacking midfielders, Adam Leilana and Leandro Trossard. So that obviously hurts them. And they're going up against a Wolves defense that is still pretty good, very well organized, only allowing 1.19 non-penalty expected goals per match. So we have two teams who are also fantastic at pressing inside their own final third. And Brighton, who plays at a very slow build-up type of pace. I agree with you, Michael. This has 0-0 or Brighton 1-0 win just written all over it. So I have both teams to score no projected at minus 161. So I like the current odds of minus 135 and I'd play it up to minus 140. We get some uh, disagreement on the show this week is Anthony. You're seeing this thing shake out a different leaf. You're wide open. These two teams, the numbers say wide open. I won't go that far. What I'll say is, uh, I'm buying low on the Wolves attack here. I mean, we have seen, and BJ's right. Everything he said is true. This offense, this attack has been one of the worst in the league for the last six weeks. No matter what they've tried, it hasn't worked. Now, granted, they have had a relatively tough schedule in that stretch, playing West Ham, playing Liverpool, playing Manchester City. Uh, they they also didn't score against Norwich or Burnley, so pretty concerning. But at a certain point, they're going to start scoring goals again. Uh, I don't believe that given their talent level, uh, they have solid attacking players. I don't think they're one of the four or five worst attacks in the league when when this all shakes out. So I'm banking on them moving back up the table and attack a little bit. And the same thing with Brighton, who's also now underperforming their expected goals for yet again. Uh, Brighton also may be out a couple of defenders as well as Trossard and Lalana. They actually may have been a little fortunate too to get this game against Spurs canceled this weekend because uh, they are going to be out multiple players including uh, Lewis Dunk and Shane Duffy. So there's some interesting angles to to consider here, but really I'm just banking on both attacks, finally waking up and having a a good performance here. And and given the talent on both teams, I think that the recent performances has deflated this number a little too low. We shall see. Uh, Hey guys, Burnley's back, by the way. They're plus 115 home favorites against Watford in a relegation six-pointer. Watford's plus 245 on the money line. The draw is plus 250. Another Wednesday, 2.30 p.m. kickoff. Norwich City at the bottom of the table with 10 points. Newcastle also there at 10, but just ahead on goal differential. Burnley at 11. They've played one less game than most of the teams in the league. And then Watford's at 13 points, just above the drop zone. How about this? God love Sean Dyche. God love Burnley. The weather at Turf Moor today looked so Burnley. The game was so Burnley. Burnley, zero goals for one goal against in their last three matches. Uh, <laughs> on the other side of the coin, Watford, four losses on uh, on the spin here. 21 total goals in their last five matches, and that includes a win over Manchester United. Both teams to score is cashed in all five. So two very, very different teams in very, very different form, battling out, like I said, in a relegation six-pointer here. I think it's time to back the Clarets here. Uh, It's plus 115 right now. I'm hoping that gets maybe a little higher, but I think it's Burnley for me or nothing. God, I love this team. God, I love this manager. It's going to set up to be a hilarious match, I think, at Turf Moor on Wednesday afternoon. BJ, what are you thinking for this one? Yeah, I do like Burnley, but I need plus 125 or better to bet it. So I have them projected, I believe, around plus 105. 
listen, I can go through and, and try to make a case for the Burnley offense, but I, I really can. I mean, they're bottom five in pretty much every metric we look at, except they're number one in crosses completed in the 18-yard box, but Watford is third best in the Premier League at preventing crosses into their own 18-yard box, so it kind of cancels out there. And obviously the Watford defense has been really, really bad playing against a very you know difficult schedule. They got pinned in the entire second half against Brentford, but that's probably not going to happen against Burnley, who likes to sit back, obviously, in their 4-4-2. The biggest thing, though, Watford has allowed the second most expected goals off of corners this season, which is a nightmare because that's basically how Burnley creates all of their chances. So that's not good. But at that same token, Burnley's defense has been pretty wide open. They haven't really been very well structured like they have in the past. So I do need plus 125 or better to, you know, get three and a half percent value on it. So Burnley plus 125 or better. Hopefully we get to that number by match time. I think the most interesting thing here is whether or not Watford chooses to treat this more like a relegation six pointer or if they keep playing the way that they've been playing the last few matches. Like Michael said, they've been so open at both ends of the pitch, conceding goals, scoring goals left and right. They have the attacking talent to give this Burnley defense some serious issues, which is a concern. But also, BJ took my stat on the corners. They've been very good off corners. Uh, Burnley has. They almost scored off one today in a game that really could have gone either way in the final minutes against the top five, six team in the Prem. So an encouraging performance. They have been much better at home. They've been on the road, as tends to be the case with Burnley. I just don't really trust them. And especially since Maxwell Cornet appears like he's probably not going to play to get the margin to win this match. So I'm, I'm going to ultimately probably stay away. It's also going to finally stop raining at Turf Moor on Tuesday. So never bet against rain some, in England. Yeah, we might actually have some overcast skies instead of just downpour. First dry day at Turf Moor in six years since they got to the Premier League, I would say. All right, let's move on. Crystal Palace, plus 135 at home against Southampton, who are plus 215. Southampton, a team that let us down immensely over the weekend in a no-show effort against Arsenal. Uh, The draw is plus 235, 2.30 p.m. kickoff on Wednesday. Palace, an impressive win over a lackluster Everton team, it must say. It looked looked like Everton showed up for about 15 minutes of this game. Crystal Palace was able to control the tempo. Solomon Rondon gets a lucky goal. And for 15 minutes, Palace was on shaky ground. Everton was was a little scrappy and got them off their game. But in the end, it was uh, all for naught as Conor Gallagher scored a wonder goal in the uh, dying minutes to secure all three points for an impressive Palace team, a team that I think is legitimately good. And I think Patrick Vieira has done a really good job. This number looks about right as Palace for me or nothing. I think right now their defense is what is driving the bus for me on this handicap. Second best team in the Premier League right now in terms of big chances allowed going into the weekend and fourth best in non penalty expected goals allowed. They're a cohesive unit. They're tough to break down and they have the talent to nick the goal when they need it in a coin flip game. And that sets up well against a Southampton team whose strength is its offense and creating chances. They don't finish them. If Palace can keep this game kind of muffled, I like their chances here. So plus 135, I think is a good enough uh, number for me. BJ, you joining me on the Eagles here? Yeah, I do like Crystal Palace. I mean, the the home road splits for uh, for Palace are actually quite drastic. Plus 6.1 expected goal differential at home versus a minus 3.8 expected goal differential on the road. You know, we talked, obviously, their defense is playing fantastic, you know, top five and non-penalty expected goals allowed. But offensively, they are improving. You know, their last eight matches, they're averaging 1.46 expected goals per match and have created 12 big scoring chances in those eight matches compared to just six over their first eight matches of the season. That's going to be huge against Southampton, which we spoke about last week, has allowed the third most big scoring chances in the Premier League. So for a Crystal Palace team that's been incredible defensively, allowing close to only one non-penalty expected goal per match, 
Additionally, they press at an incredibly high rate, second most pressures in the Premier League. Southampton is bottom five versus pressure. This is just a great matchup for Crystal Palace at home where they've been much better than on the road. I have Palace projected at plus 124, so a little bit of value on Palace at plus 135, but given the home road splits, I think I really do like the Eagles to grab all three points. Anthony, it's not a a play on the side for you, but going back to your bread and butter, BTTS, where are you going? Yeah, it's actually my favorite bet of this little midweek action. Uh, Both teams to score is minus 115 here. I think it's still pretty cheap. Palace has been the third best defense in the league. You know, does anybody expect that to continue forever? Uh, I know they've had a little, they've actually been a little bit unlucky defensively in front of goal in terms of keeping shots out. Their post-shot expected goal numbers are uh, right around where they've conceded, but they've conceded, you know, an extra six goals or so based on what you'd expect. That's been down to poor goalkeeper play. And that tends to be pretty noisy and regress a little bit. So not great on that front, but Southampton at the other end, again, continues to run just ridiculously cold, had a bunch of chances against Aaron Ramsdale, could not get through 0.6 expected goals in the end, but really felt like they were on the verge of breaking through. And and it it took a few really good saves from him, especially, uh, you know, in the second half of that game when Arsenal was clearly going to win it, but still Southampton was in the mix, trying to create chances, still going full tilt. We've seen with Southampton and that first goal from Arsenal kind of, you know, signifies the breaking point there. They were so close to closing down and winning the ball a couple of times And then once Arsenal breaks through that first line and then they get Saka running up the right wing, Southampton concedes a ton of big scoring chances because they press so much that they don't have numbers behind. They concede goals off of that. The question is, is Palace the team that's going to really take advantage of that? I'm not so sure. I do think Palace will score here because like BJ mentioned, they've been excellent in attack at home and they'll be able to force Southampton into mistakes because they're not particularly good at playing out of the back either. Uh, they also have some injury concerns here. And the biggest one, I think the one that we failed to mention on the pod, Willie Caballero starting for Southampton last week because McCarthy is out and Foster is out. It appears McCarthy will be out again. And it appears Foster uh, is going to be out again, which means it's round two with, with Willie Caballero. And he was absolutely awful. Should have saved the second goal. Poor job coming to claim the corner on the third goal. There was a fourth goal that got ruled out that he also messed up on. So really not looking to trust Willie Caballero to keep a clean sheet here. So I think at both teams to score at minus 115 is good value. Peaks and valleys, peaks and valleys. Arsenal, plus 115, currently at a peak after the win over Southampton, only two points off of top four somehow. This team makes me sick. Uh, West Ham, the team they're chasing for the top four, are plus 235 traveling to the Emirates. The draw is plus 265, 3 p.m. kickoff on Wednesday. I think in terms of stakes, you can make an argument that it's either this match or the uh, showdown between Watford and Burnley with the highest stakes in terms of the, the standings. Uh, God, it's this Arsenal team drives me nuts. It's, you're either buying low or selling high at all times with them, and I think right now is a good time not only to sell high on them, but also buy low on a West Ham team off of their unexciting nil-nil draw at Turf Moor against Burnley. The Arsenal, you know, they, they did deserve the win over Southampton, as Anthony kind of just outlined. And uh, we know that this West Ham back line has been decimated with injuries. But even with that, I'm not totally sure how much really separates these two teams in terms of their current form, their managers. And, you know, yeah, Arsenal has home field advantage here, but I just I don't know. Uh, so I think the number is definitely good enough to back a really good West Ham team uh, on the road against an Arsenal team that is as inconsistent as they come. BJ, as the Arsenal tragic on the show, how are you seeing this one play out? Well, I just, I really hate 
with the situation I've been put in with this team, because obviously on this show, I try to be as unbiased as possible and, you know, give you guys, you know, essentially the best possible picks, no matter who I root for. And literally every single week I have to come on here and just say Arsenal is overvalued and I have to bet against Arsenal every single week. So it's not really fun me watching them pour in three goals against Southampton, like knowing I have Southampton plus one in the back. So it's kind of, I'm in a weird, I'm in a weird spot right now, but this is another situation where Arsenal is completely overvalued. And I understand West Ham's defensive issues and how thin they are defensively, but Arsenal, this is a classic Arsenal against a good opponent. We've seen them crumble every single time they've faced some, at least somewhat of a decent offense. 2.9 expected goals to Chelsea, 4.3 expected goals to Man City, 4.6 expected goals to Liverpool, and 1.9 expected goals to Manchester United. So going up against a full-strength West Ham attack that is top five in non-penalty expected goals, shots per 90, and big scoring chances is a nightmare. And I don't think that West Ham being as thin as they are in the back line is really going to make up for that. And also, you know, having two fantastic defensive midfielders in Thomas Soychek and Declan Rice really helps out when you have those issues at the back, you know, rather than, you know, a team like Arsenal, who have Grant Shaka and Party, who have really been out of form and actually not been that great this season. So purely if we just look at expected, <laughs> expected goal differentials, Arsenal minus 4.1 on the season, West Ham plus 4.3. So I don't really understand why Arsenal is getting this much respect, especially in the market. I have this match projected pretty close to a pick So if you can find West Ham plus half a goal at minus 135, I do think there's some value on that. Anthony, come on, jump on in. The water's fine. Uh, no, not pregame. I'm passing. Look, I think uh, West Ham is probably a tiny bit undervalued. I show a little bit of value on them as well. But I think you can get a better number live here. West Ham have started slow against many of their uh, in many of their bigger games this year and then kind of grown into the game. We saw that against Chelsea. They also played a pretty poor first half against Burnley on the road here. You know, was not in a good spot, but still we're not very good. And we've seen Arsenal have been one of the best teams in the league in the opening 20 to 25 minutes. I want to see how West Ham's makeshift back line is going to cope with the Arsenal attacking talent. Aubameyang is still going to be out for this game, so it's going to be Lacazette again. Better goalkeeper play from West Ham than Southampton had on Saturday for sure, which should help. But I think if Arsenal scores early, you'll be seeing me put a a live bet in on the hammers. But pregame, I'm going to sit this one out. I also don't hate the idea of a live over. You know, If it starts slow, uh, I I do think both defenses are vulnerable here, but generally going to press on the pregame numbers. The bet regret for me the past week was not sticking to my guns and just blindly betting somehow against Newcastle, no matter the number, just finding a way in to fade them. Hadn't paid off in the past couple of weeks prior to their match against Leicester. And Leicester, I knew they were coming off short rest because they had to play the Europa League and they didn't look impressive in their previous two matches. So I bet it. And what happens? Leicester boots them off the pitch for a nil win at the King Power those same Foxes. They're plus 110 at home against Tottenham Hotspur, who are going to play a game. It seems uh, for the first time in a long time, it feels like Tottenham's plus 230 coming off the, the COVID break. They also had two weeks before, prior to that, the snow game uh, ruled out against Burnley. Uh, so they played, I think, one Premier League match in the past three weeks or so. Well, everyone else is playing matches every other day. Tottenham and Antonio Conte are in his lab uh, getting themselves ready to uh, start their revolution under their new manager. The draw on this match is plus 285. A Thursday, 2.30 p.m. kickoff. Still a lot up in the air for this one in terms of lineups. So it's kind of hard to judge or handicap the match. I would say I'm closer on Tottenham than I am on, on Leicester at the current number, but uh, it's definitely not big enough for me to jump in considering what they're coming off of over the past week or so. Anthony, if BJ is the Arsenal tragic on this show, you are the optimistic Spurs fan who blindly 
backs his team no matter what and, and never bets against them. So what do you have for us? That's definitely not true. Uh, I bet against them against Brentford and lost. So maybe I shouldn't have done that. It's a really interesting situation. So Tottenham returned to training as of today uh, and they eligible players who were not in the COVID protocols were able to train. And through the grapevine of you know photos and people sneaking around the training ground, they've been able to determine some of the players who are available. Uh, Harry Kane, Hugo Lloris are available. Those are the two that the main two that were confirmed in Delhi Alley as well. Uh, but we don't know the extent of who else is, is truly out and not available for this match. We also don't know if the match is going to happen. Right now, it's on a scheduled. If it's at the current number and Spurs have most of their starting 11 in, I'll be playing Tottenham at this number. They're very undervalued here on the road to get a point. At least they've been significantly improved in their four games under Antonio Conte. They've created 6.9 expected goals. They've allowed 3.5, so pretty much doubling up their opponents. And while they haven't played a tough schedule, playing Everton, Leeds, Brentford, and Norwich, that's considerably better than Spurs were playing against those inferior opponents earlier in the season when they you know, were outplayed by very average teams like Crystal Palace and you know parts of the match against Villa. So Tottenham are clearly on the trajectory up, but the COVID situation really throws a wrench into everything. They're going to be playing a ton of matches in January and February and at the end of the year. But right now at the current number, assuming everybody's good to go, I'll be playing Tottenham. If they're not, and you know this gets called off or a ton of guys are out, I'll probably just pass. You know, we spoke about Leicester. They had a COVID situation as well last week. Well, if you look at the lineup uh, today against Newcastle, it was pretty much a full strength squad from top to bottom. So really no worries about, you know, whoever, you know, had COVID with Leicester. So like, I agree with Anthony. If there's a situation where a lot of Tottenham's, you know, key players are out, then this is playing Leicester other than that. It's just, it's really hard to handicap and it's honestly just a pass. I'll travel to Stamford Bridge uh, where Chelsea are sitting at minus 425 home favorites against the most pedestrian team in the premier league Everton, uh, 13 to one on the money line, the draws five to one. This is a Thursday, two forty-five PM kickoff. I thought the Everton win over Arsenal on Monday was going to kind of galvanize the squad and show them that, you know, the, the whole is kind of better than the sum of its parts. And this is a team that's very thin at the moment, but if they are on the same page and everyone is playing hard and to the system, you can become hard to beat. That wasn't the case against Crystal Palace at all. It was incredibly frustrating, a dire, uh, I'll call it a cowardly performance from my Toffees. And that's why it kind of really sickens me to say this ever 10 or nothing here, because this Chelsea number, I think, is outrageous. Uh, 4.75 expected goals allowed in their last three matches. But uh, in Everton's, they do create. Like, they are not a cohesive unit at all, but they do find a way to scrap together a couple moments where they put defenses under pressure. Damari Gray on one flank, Andros Townsend on the other. There's those are guys who can make something out of nothing. And obviously Richarlison is in that mold as well. And he's going to be the best player on, in the team until Dominic Calvert-Lewin comes back. But that's if Richarlison plays, he came off early with a little bit of a calf issue, but he did seem like he wanted to continue. So I'm right now assuming he's in. And if he is, I will be on Everton in some way or another, whether it's the spread or the money line. And I really just hate myself for the 90 minutes while this match goes on. BJ, you you've you've been a staunch <laughs> supporter as well it's just so bad yeah so the chelsea defensive regression is just coming in full force right now eight conceded goals in their last three matches against west ham zenit and Leeds. mendy seems to have kind of lost his confidence so it has me kind of questioning if chelsea is actually a true title contender or if we just have a two-horse race between Swiss city and liverpool the biggest problem though is they need angola conte back like they just don't 
have anybody else in the lineup that provides what he can provide, which is pressing at a high rate, going box to box and, you know, helping out the back line of defense. They just don't have that guy. But this one really comes down to if for Charleston is playing or not, because Solomon Rondon just, it's it's kind of tough to watch at this point in his career. But if for Charleston's out, they don't really have much going forward. And I'll be honest, I do show a tiny bit of value on Everton plus half a goal, you know, plus 110. But man, I mean, without Mina, potentially Allen, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Tom Davies, and potentially now Richarlison. It's really hard for me to sit here and tell our listeners to bet on Everton against the Chelsea team that, you know, obviously is overperforming, but is still, you know, a top, obviously a top three team in England. So instead I'm going to sit back and I'm going to wait only for Charleston is playing and I can get plus one and a half at plus one ten or better. I'll probably end up playing it, but I'm kind of hoping that Chelsea gets steamed and we can potentially get Everton maybe at plus two uh, and maybe minus 120 or better. And another player who's not been in the squad is Luca Dean, who's their best fallback. Suspended, yeah. internally, internal yeah. suspension for some reason. It's, but so. this is this is the problem. Like It would be a lot easier to suggest a bet on Everton if the squad, if the team was on the same page, which, they, which they're clearly not. Uh, so the fact that they are still getting some moments out of the, the last couple of months is a little bit impressive because of just how herky-jerky they look when you're watching. It looks like 11 players who maybe just met before the match and are just like, all right, we'll, we'll play together. But that's how they play. And that's not the type of team you want to bet your hard earned money on. But when you're betting numbers, like our buddy Anthony likes to do, sometimes you'll end up on teams like Everton, right? Yeah, yeah I'm going to be on Everton. Uh, Chelsea got the late luck box penalty against Leeds to win that match. Two penalties, both were a little bit fluky. Neither were like denying a clear scoring opportunity. They were both kind of on the edge of the box and, and they were both penalties. Don't get me wrong, but like Chelsea was not on the verge of scoring when Leeds you know, brought them down inside the box. And it was Rudiger actually drawing both penalties, which is kind of funny. When you think about this game, Chelsea is clearly still overvalued and they've been overvalued for a little while now. Their power index rating has taken a pretty significant slip. They're now a clear step behind both Liverpool and Man City, both an expected goal difference in overall performance. Their European performances have not been nearly as dominant. There's just a lot of red flags with Chelsea here relative to where they are in the market. I was actually quite happy to see that goal go in because we still got a good number here to fade them again. Uh, as long as Richarlison's good to go, which it seems like he will be, uh, it's not entirely clear at this point as of Sunday night. Uh, I'll be taking some plus one and a half and I'm going to take some team total over a half, probably uh, split my bet on those two. I do think this is probably going to be a Chelsea win, but I see it as more of a 2-1 game. I don't really see Chelsea getting margin here. They just have not been able to control the midfield nearly as effectively without N'Golo Kante. Ben Chilwell has actually been a pretty significant loss. You know, Marcus Alonso has not been nearly as good as Chilwell was. And so just some concerns about Chelsea heading into the festive period. I think they're apt to drop some points here. And, and really, I think the top two are eventually going to separate themselves and make this a two-horse race. When I tweeted that, people got mad at me, but I, I'm standing by that. The cardinal rule of Twitter is never tweet, Anthony, and you'll learn that you're still young. And that brings us to the last Premier League match of the midweek. And it's one of the teams that Chelsea will be fighting with in this title race, Liverpool. Minus 900, minus 900 favorites at home against Newcastle, 22 to one on the money line. The draw is sitting at plus 850 Thursday, 3 p.m. kickoff. I do wonder if there is anybody out there who would bet the draw on this match. (laughs) I would love to see a draw ticket. Like who, what, what sociopath out there is betting the draw in this match? Uh, It's hilarious. And the draw to me should be like way higher. The Liverpool alt line minus two and a half, minus 105. 
minus 105 for minus two and a half. So yeah, it's uh, this is a stay away for me. Maybe a $10 like for fun under the couch money bet on Newcastle just because of you know, FOMO. You don't want to miss out if, if they do pull this hilarious upset. Uh, I would love to see what Jurgen Klopp you know, complains about if, if that happened. Uh, but yeah, that's that's about the only way I can approach this one is the shits and giggles bet on Newcastle or nothing. BJ, what about you? Yeah, I, I just wanted to say, I don't think I've ever seen this before in my projections, but I have the draw projected at over 10 to one. I don't think I've ever seen that before. I was actually looking, I was like, oh, maybe we'll take, you know, Liverpool team total, you know, over two and a half. Maybe we can get it at, you know, I, I wasn't expecting a good price, but that's minus 190. So this is just a stay away. I, I mean, it's, uh, I have Newcastle projected at 25 to one. So, it, you know, it's, their defense is so bad. And Eddie Howe has just resigned to the fact that he cannot play a traditional 3-4-3 like he usually plays with them because they set up in a 4-4-1-1 today and they still got torched by Leicester. He just doesn't have the personnel. Who knows in January what happens? You know, an interesting bet, I think, right now with Newcastle is them to not be relegated if we can get that, you know, at a decent price. Like, maybe play that given, you know, the January transfer window and a bunch of guys that are just sitting out there that aren't playing at certain teams like, you know, Anthony Martial or Icardi or, you know, guys like that. But, yeah, this one is just a total stay away from me, and I probably won't even watch a second of it. In the time that we were discussing this game, Liverpool's already ticked up. They're now minus 1,000 on the money line. Uh, yeah, I mean, how, how do you – it's Newcastle plus two and a half or pass. Uh, I understand the matchup's bad. I understand it's at Anfield. I understand Newcastle is terrible. I, I won't make a case if they're any good. They're the worst team in the league going against the team that loves to run up the score on bad teams. But they're, they're still overvalued here at two and a half. Uh, maybe we'll get like a two and three quarters. Then, then I'm going to – Maybe three. I'm gonna have to if we get three, I'm playing Newcastle, but we're not gonna get three. But uh it's just a really what even is the handicap? How many does Liverpool choose to win by? You know, how good are their finishing boots that day? Does Dubrovka have a a world class performance in him? Newcastle over half goal is plus one twenty five. That would be the that would be the other potential or anything. (laughs) Newcastle twenty two to one on the money line. That's the same odds that the Pittsburgh Penguins have to win the Stanley Cup. So there you go. That'll do for the Premier League portion of the program. A good note to end it on. And we will now move to the Bundesliga. We've had someone reach out to us about how we touch on the Bundesliga. They've helped us pronounce the name of our beloved Bruther Furt correctly. And they won this weekend. So some good karma for the official Bundesliga team. Not one of us bet them. No, of course not. One time we don't bet them. We are losers. Please don't forget that. We are losers. Um, I turned on the game, saw it was 1-0. I was happy. But I was also desperately rooting for Union to score because yeah. I just could not sit there and be like, we could have had Roy yeah. Defert and we didn't yeah. take him this week. We got scarred after seven to one. And we just well, not just seven to one, but the I mean, there's been four bad beats for me this year yeah. on that team. Tails between our legs and eggs on our faces for not playing the team of the podcast and their first win of the season of the Bundesliga. On that note, uh, BJ, what is your favorite bet in uh, Germany uh, this week? Well, I actually kind of like Gruther against Dorman, but no, I'll go. <laughs> uh, I'll go with the just patent tried and true Leverkusen fade, which hit today. Congratulations, Anthony. Uh, Leverkusen, I mean, this team is just, it's insane how the market is just overreacting to them. They have a plus 16 actual goal differential and only a plus 3.5 expected goal differential. And obviously we've been talking about it over and over again. All of that has pretty much come offensively. I won't go into, you know, obviously the stats behind it, but the reason why it's happening to Leverkusen is because they're just not creating a lot of shots inside the six yard box. They have the second fewest in the Bundesliga, only nine shots 
shots inside the six yard box compared to league leaders, Bayern Munich, who have 31 shots inside the six yard box. And so basically what you're saying is you're going to rely on guys like, listen, I love my guy, Patrick Schick, but he is overperforming right now. Him along with all their other attacking players, basically not creating anything inside the six yard box. They're 14th in shots per 90. That's a really hard scoring rate to sustain, especially against Hoffenheim defense. That's top six in non-penalty expected goals allowed, shots allowed per 90, and big scoring chance allowed. And this Hoffenheim team, which is currently sitting in fourth place, is red hot right now. Four straight wins, including over RB Leipzig, Frankfurt, and Freiburg. Offensively, they're fourth in non-penalty expected goals, second in big scoring chances. This is a classic Leverkusen overvalued once again. I love Hoffenheim plus half a goal at plus 115. Anthony, if BJ is fading uh, Leverkusen, that means uh, he, he beat you to the punch likely. Uh, so where are you going with your favorite bet this week? Yeah, you know, Leverkusen grabbed a quick 2-0 lead. There was a very fluky penalty that got them that 2-0 lead. And then it was all I track Frankfurt, big win for the Eagles today. Okay, so Dortmund and Furt, the, the total set at four goals right now. I wonder what that total would have been a few weeks ago prior to Furt conceding six goals to Hoffenheim and seven goals to Leverkusen. It's clearly inflated. I understand their defense is really, really bad, but they actually showed some fight in the game uh, against Union. They picked up their first win of the season. Of course, not one of us actually bet them in that spot. Absolute pain, but congrats to Grotefer on their first win of the season. Here, I'm going to back the under because I, I do show some value on it. Dortmund continues to overperform in front of goal in their attacking numbers. And Furt obviously has defensive regression coming as well. Today, they got a little bit lucky in their win, as was always going to be the case when they ever they got their first win against a top six, seven team in the Bundesliga. But really, at four goals here, I have to take the under, unfortunately. Uh, and so hopefully Holland takes it easy on us. He doesn't go too ham. Uh, and really, this line should be at three and a half, and it's at four. So I'm going to take the under four at 115. All right, uh, we're getting towards the end of the program, but before we do, we need to talk about a few underdogs we like. And as always, I will warn you to tread lightly with these picks. These are underdogs for a reason, but we will still give them out. And heh, like we said in our last episode, we have been doing pretty well on these. It's been pretty rare that we've been shut out and we are in the green considerably if you've been betting each one. My favorite dog this week is West Ham. Plus 235 taking on Arsenal. I don't really think there's that much that separates these two teams. I know Arsenal's just coming off a, an impressive win over Southampton and they are at home, but West Ham is a very, very good team. Their underlying metrics support that they are a top four, top five team in the Premier League. And we've seen against teams that are near the top of the table. So give me the Hammers plus 235. David Moyes, I'm going back to you. And he's treated me well this season. So hopefully that gets this underdog parlay started off well Anthony what's your favorite underdog yeah Hoffenheim have been riding their luck a little bit in the last couple of weeks got lucky with a penalty miss against Freiburg pretty fortunate to beat Frankfurt 3-2 with that being said I don't see much difference between them and Leverkusen the expected goals difference per 90 this year has these two teams is very similar so Leverkusen is at home but they should not be minus 130 odds on favorites BJ already mentioned why he likes Hoffenheim plus a half. I like Hoffenheim on the money line at plus 320. I think it's going to be a wide open game featuring a lot of chances. Uh, Hoffenheim and my guy Kramerich have been absolutely cooking lately. He's taken a huge step forward in the attack. He's got 4.3 expected goals and actually has some regression coming. He only has two goals from those four. And Babu has been excellent as well. They have a lot of guys who can really interchange and cause problems for this Leverkusen defense, which had similar issues uh, against Frankfurt today in transition, number one, and number two, 
did not defend set pieces well at all. Hoffenheim has been very good on set pieces. And so I think there's a very good, even though you're not probably getting the best in terms of buying low and selling high with Leverkusen getting steamrolled last weekend, still going to take the number here in, in a week where we don't have a ton of great options given the limited slate for Moneyline underdogs. BJ, what's your favorite pooch? Well, my last two underdogs have lost in maybe the most painful fashion possible. Uh, this past week, you know, it was Udinese who gave up a pinball goal at the end to Zlatan to tie 1-1, which was really fun to watch on a college football Saturday on my iPad. But I'm going to go Brentford, the Bees, at a plus 330. This is a classic spot. I already talked about how Manchester United has been essentially overvalued and everything, but under Ragnick, their performances have not improved whatsoever. You take away the Ronaldo penalty this past week against Norwich, against Crystal Palace and Norwich, the expected goals battle was pretty much even. Even if we just purely look at expected goal differential on the season for these two teams, Brentford plus 1.4, United minus 2.9, especially with all the COVID issues that my United is potentially dealing with, along with all of the injuries, they are on top of all that. This is a great spot for the Bees at home to get all three points. So give me them at plus 330. No Freudian slip this time from BJ, where he correctly predicted that there would be a stoppage time goal for Milan. I did. Um, I did, predict, I did predict that this time Brentford's going to win three, nothing. When, when you've <laughs> no doubt about it. No doubt. Yeah. This is the week. This is the week that we hit off three. And if we do 60 to one is the payout. I will be sure to bet it because uh, yeah, there's no I, way. There's no way. It I feel good about this one guys. I really feel good about it. I felt, I felt good about, about I felt good about last week's. Uh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It was the first leg was dead. So yeah. Yeah. First leg was dead. That was mine. Uh Let's wrap this show up with our favorite Premier League bet for the midweek here. I'm going to do something a little different. Uh, Back a draw. Wolves and Brighton. We talk a lot about how neither one of these two teams are all that efficient offensively, if you want to be kind. And they are very efficient defensively, which is why you see the over-under set at two. And backing draws in games with low over-unders is usually a recipe for success. The bookmakers are telling you they're expecting it to be a low event game. And that's what you are looking for, for a draw. So, so give me Brighton and Wolves to split the spoils on Wednesday afternoon at the Amex. The draw is plus 225. So that's where I'm going with my favorite bet. BJ, what about you? Well, let's stay in the same match and a different bet, but kind of on the similar wavelength. Both teams have scored no at minus 135. The Wolves defense has absolutely disappeared from the beginning of the season. Obviously, they're going to be without Raul Jimenez, who got a red card and maybe one of the dumbest things I've ever seen on a soccer field last weekend against Manchester City. Wolves has not created a big scoring chance in the last six matches, and they're now dead last in the Premier League in shots per 90 at 10.3 per match. So going up against a Brighton defense that's very well organized, only allowing 1.14 non-penalty expected goals per match, I have a hard time seeing how Wolves is going to create anything of substance against Brighton. Now on the flip side, Brighton's offense hasn't been that great overall this season. They have created 4.6 expected goals in their last three matches, but they're going to be without Trossard and Leilana for this one, two of their best attacking midfielders. And Wolves' defense is still very well organized. Still very solid at the back. They're only allowing 1.19 non-penalty expected goals on the season. These two teams are also really good at pressing inside their own final third and not allowing people to essentially get inside the box. Brighton also plays at a very, very slow, pragmatic build-up style place. So I agree with you, Michael. Let's hope we get a 0-0 draw. So both teams to score no on Wolves and Brighton. Anthony, wrap this show up, please. Yeah, I'm going to go Southampton and Crystal Palace. Both teams to score yes at minus 115. Crystal Palace has the third best defensive metrics in the league. I don't think any of us or anyone in the pundit world would have expected that to be the case. 
16 matches into the season now we're almost at here. And I really don't expect it to be the case going forward. I do think their defense is a little bit overvalued because of their impressive numbers. The total is a little bit lower than it should be. And they're going up against a Southampton team that has a ton of attacking regression coming. They've been very poor in front of goal at finishing off their chances. You expect that to level off. I feel like I've been saying that for weeks and they have been scoring a little bit more of late. We're denied multiple times by Aaron Ramsdale on what otherwise I thought they deserved a goal out of that performance against Arsenal. And in goal for Southampton, no Alex McCarthy. Looks like no Fraser Foster, which means it's round two of Willie Caballero. He looked absolutely dreadful in goal, was not good at claiming crosses, was not good at shot stopping. I think Palace, who has had excellent metrics at home this year, will be able to get on the board, but they will concede one as well. So at minus 115, I like both teams to score, Southampton and Palace. All right, and that just about wraps up another episode of Wonder Goal. And we do want to say that we have picked the winners of the contests that we had from our rate review and subscribe contest from when we first launched the show. If you did win, you will be hearing from someone from the Action Network in the coming days. So congratulations to the winners. And on that note, we will leave you with our best wishes uh, for the midweek matches in the Premier League and the Bundesliga. And we will see you on Thursday morning.